Good morning, Reach Church. Alright, so if kids want to head to Reach Kids, they can head out right now. Alright, here we go. Alright, so we have been moving through our sermon series, God-Sized Conversations, uh, answering God-Sized Questions, and uh, unfortunately, this is going to be our last conversation. So, (laughs) oh no. Um, Now, there are still questions that are out there that you guys have asked. Um, We're going to have to answer those questions in different formats. So, there are some questions that I think will be better for kind of a a more discussion format. So, there's lots of back and forth. Um, There are some that are kind of more personal questions, which I'll probably answer by email, some by newsletter. So, uh, look out for kind of future questions and and things that we're going to discuss. Uh, this week, this week we are looking at a question from someone uh, from our campus, actually, and it's a good one. It's wrestling with um, kind of the reality of who we are in Christ versus who we are just in our everyday life. And this seeming kind of gap between being called perfect in Jesus and then being, being sinners every moment of our lives. And so the question is, is phrased like this. How do I deal with the consequences of certain decisions or sins while still knowing that I'm a free person, a new creation? So they're reflecting on this fact that uh, a while back I talked about how we are new creations in Christ. And that the past, it doesn't haunt us, the past doesn't uh, condemn us, that our past sin means nothing to us now. That we are new creations, that we had a definitive break, not just from our old sin, but from like that whole person before Right, but some of you have seen that and heard that, and you're asking, well, then why am I still paying for the consequences of things I did before? And why am I still bearing the, the suffering and the, the problems that I had before I came to a relationship with Jesus? Why hasn't my life gotten like definitively better and changed uh, overnight? Why are these things still present? And that creates a lot of doubt in us. And for some of us, we're thinking, well... Okay, what does that mean to my relationship with God? Does that mean that he hasn't actually forgiven those sins? Does, he mean, does that mean I'm, I'm being punished or I'm, I'm under his judgment? Or maybe it means like maybe I'm just a hypocrite or maybe I'm, I'm doing something wrong. That I, I'm supposed to be perfect in Christ, but here I am just struggling and struggling, sinning every day. All right. That's an important question. And if we, if we get this question wrong... We're going to have no joy in the gospel. We're going to have no joy in what, what Jesus has done for us. And we're going to misunderstand what Jesus has done for us. So, to kind of keep the category straight, we're going to talk about uh, three things that Jesus has given us. Uh, they sound really boring at first. Uh, <laughs> they are, they are the, the classical articulation of like the three benefits that we have in Jesus. That when we put faith in him, we receive first justification, then sanctification, than adoption. These are the three benefits that we receive. I want to make sure that we keep these clear because if we blend any of the two, if we confuse them, if we expect one to kind of mean something about the other and mean too much, then we're going to start to, to doubt our salvation. We're going to feel like horrible Christians. Uh, we're just going to get everything wrong. So we're going to talk about those three categories and how we live as people who are both perfect and imperfect who are both saved and, and redeemed in Christ, but still like suffering and growing and sinning. So, with that in mind, let's pray and we'll jump in. 
Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that, that all questions are answered in Jesus. And Father, we ask that we just have clarity in thinking about um, these categories. Would you give us minds to understand and to care about the things that we're talking about? Father, would you make them practical? Would you make them um, real and tangible? And Father, would, would you make them um, just a joy? So Father, would you um, be with us during this time? Would you fill us with your spirit? And would you give us uh, eyes to see Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. All right, so first off, we're going to talk about justification. Justification. Uh, one of those big words doesn't mean anything to us. Uh, justification. So if you're, uh, let's say you get into an argument with someone and, and they're accusing you of doing something wrong. You would give them a, a justification for what you did. You'd say, all right, this, this is what I did. And if the justification goes well, they decide, okay, you're, you're right. You're, you're innocent after all. You didn't do anything wrong. You're, you're good. You're, you're righteous and holy. All right, that doesn't usually go out that way. Uh, most of us don't justify ourselves that well. Uh, That's why we're justified by Jesus. Uh, but... To be justified is a legal term. It's to be declared righteous and just and and holy in the court of God. That according to the judgment of God, our sins are no longer held against us. That we're no longer under the penalty. Now I want to make sure that we we understand what justification really is and how it works. You cannot justify yourself by, by your own works. You are condemned in your sin. And that's where Jesus comes along. He pays for your sin. He justifies you. He declares you righteous. He declares you as perfect in the sight of God. Utterly and completely perfect. And you had nothing to do with that. You did nothing according to your works to do that. All you did was you put your faith in Jesus and you received justification. Now that's usually the category that we work in. Week after week, I tell you that, that you're, you're justified, you're perfect, you're righteous, you're holy in Jesus. His, wa- His blood has washed you clean. Your sins are as far from you as the east is from the west. And it's probably the most important of the three. Because it's the one that gets messed up the easiest. It's really easy to start adding things to justification and say, okay, well, I need to be justified uh, by faith and I need to do something else. Like, no. Once you've added the and, you've killed justification. Or we say, well, yeah, yeah, I'm justified, but I... You, need to, you also need to do works. No, you don't. Justification has nothing to do with your works. It's just the works of Jesus. You are a new creation if you put your faith in Him. You are perfect in the sight of God. I just want to make sure that that's clear. That's the baseline. That's justification. All right, there is a big wall between justification and sanctification. Do not blend the two. Do not mix the two. Don't make one rely upon the other. No. Keep them separate. All right. So this week we're going to talk more about sanctification than the other. We usually talk about justification, but sanctification. All right. This is another benefit of our faith in Jesus. Another benefit of our faith in Jesus. That when we put our faith in Jesus, we are justified. We are also sanctified. And what that means is, think of a sanctuary. Sanctuary is a holy place. To be sanctified is to be, to be made holy. To be made righteous. But it's in a different sense. 
As you are sanctified, you actually stop doing the things you used to do. It's a matter of actions. It's a matter of, of your decisions, your heart. And someone who's being sanctified sins less in their daily life. And their thoughts are less sinful. Their motives become less sinful. It's actually being worked out in daily life. Now, unfortunately, sanctification is not usually talked about as a benefit in Jesus. It's talked about as a requirement in Jesus. And it's kind of like the, the fine print of the gospel often. And it says, oh yeah, like you can be, ju- you can be justified here. Here's, here's salvation, but you need to go do sanctification and figure it out or else you're not going to get justification. All right, that is 100% wrong. Justification has nothing to do with your sanctification. The two don't go hand in hand. And so, please don't blend the two. Justification is won by Christ. It's completed. It's perfect. Sanctification is a whole other blessing. And it's a blessing where you get free from sin. And you're free to obedience and to love Jesus unhindered by sin, unhindered by rebellion, unhindered by disobedience. And that's where we have to have this kind of fundamental shift in how we think about sanctification. Sanctification is a blessing. What is sin? Sin is death. Sin is poison. Sin is addiction. Sin is slavery. Sin is misery. And so when we're said, hey, hey, have sanctification, have freedom from these things, have an ability to fight sin, we shouldn't see this as an obligation. We see it as a blessing that's possible in Jesus. Before we were 100% enslaved to sin. But now that we put our faith in Jesus, we now have a power to battle sin and to be victorious. To be victorious step by step by step. That's a great blessing. Now, I want to make sure that we we receive this. Just one last reminder about sanctification. It's by faith. It's by faith. It's not by works. So it's it's by putting faith in God's promises. It says that if if you cut out sin in your life, you'll actually have more joy. You'll actually have more peace. You'll actually have more contentment. You'll have more purpose and meaning. We act in faith upon those things. And we become more holy in our lives. All right. Now, we're going to talk about three things that are distinct about sanctification. Three things that are distinct about sanctification. That set it apart from any other. All right, first. Sanctification is imperfect. It's imperfect. When you are justified, when you're justified, all right, you're declared perfect, you're 100%. It's a pass-fail kind of thing. And you can say, I am perfectly righteous. In terms of sanctification, you will always be imperfect. You'll never be done with the process. You will never kind of get to the point where you can, you can lay down your sword and say, you know what, the battle's over, I've, I've found victory. That will never happen until you die. Alright, so, what does that mean for your life? Right, that means you, you will always be fighting in some sense. You'll always be taking on the next sin. You'll always be kind of in the battle. But in a more encouraging sense, 
There will always be a disparity between your perfection that's given to you in Jesus and your actual life. There always will be. And so you shouldn't be surprised about that. You don't need to feel like a hypocrite. You don't need to feel like a failure by looking at your life and saying like, oh no, I need to attain to the perfection of Jesus. No, you don't. You're moving forward. You will never get there. And so don't beat yourself up. Don't feel like a failure. Don't feel like you're not a Christian because you're not as perfect as you are declared to be in Jesus. You will never be until you are, until you are dead and raised to life. All right. I hope that is encouraging to you. Please do not feel like a failure. All right. Second, sanctification is imperfect. It's also participatory. Participatory. Uh, that's a fun one. So, what does that mean? It means that you actually have a, have a role to play. That you, you, you partner with God, you participate with God, and you, you grow, you become more holy. All right, justification is not participatory. And as soon as you make it participatory, you will condemn yourself. All right, you can't add to the perfection of Jesus. You're already at 100%. As soon as you start adding your works in there, you're just going to bring it down as much. All right, you're just going to pollute the perfection of Jesus. So don't try. Don't try to justify yourself in anything. But in sanctification, please try. Please try. You actually have a role to play. And to the extent that you operate in faith and you act in faith and you pursue holiness in faith, you will be more sanctified. And to the extent that you cast off sin and you hate sin and you run from sin, you will be sanctified. All right. That's where it's really, really important to keep that barrier between justification and sanctification. If you try to do, add anything to justification, you will, you will condemn yourself. Do not make sanctification your means of justification. That's really, really bad. You're going you're gonna to die. There's going to be no joy in Jesus. You're going to feel like you're constantly trying to pay him back or prove yourself or earn it. Don't do that. All right, but on the other side of things, pursue sanctification. And don't, don't treat people who are faithfully pursuing sanctification like they're working for salvation or like they're, they're trying to earn it. No, the hope is that they love Jesus and they hate sin, and so they're actively pursuing Jesus and casting off sin. That's good. All right, don't condemn one another for doing that. And say, oh, he's, he's kind of trying really hard. All right. Don't condemn that person. Encourage them. Join them. But do it because you already are justified. You already are perfect in Jesus. And now you just want to enjoy the freedom from sin and the love of Jesus. There should be no other reason than that. All right. It's participatory. Finally. Finally. Sanctification is progressive. It's progressive. You're sanctified from 0% sanctification to 99%, and you're kind of always moving forward. All right. Justification is not like that. You're at 0 or 100%. You're either dead or you're perfect. 
It's a binary there, one or zero. All right. Sanctification isn't like that. We all start at zero and we move up. And we progressively fight sin and come to faith and, and love Jesus better. All right, what does that mean? Those of you who are immature in the faith, you are young and you are immature, what does that mean for you? You are at 100% in terms of justification. You put your faith in Jesus, you're, you're good. But you are starting off at 0% sanctification. All right, so you should look terrible. You should look terrible. And you know what? That's okay. Everyone starts off at 0% sanctified. All right, I have an analogy for this. An analogy for this. Uh, something else that is progressive, and you have to start at zero, the gym. The gym. All right, when you start, when you start working out, everyone starts at zero. And there's certain people who go to the gym, and they've, they've been there for like 10, 15 years. All right, and they're lifting like 800 pounds, and you're like, you're astounded that they're doing it. And, and you kind of feel like an idiot, as you're like lifting 10 pounds and there's like a lady next to you doing like 45, you know, and you're like, oh. Uh. <laughs> All right, that's just how it starts. That's how it starts. That's how it is. That's how progressive things work. And so in the church, when you start your faith, you put your faith in Jesus, you start this path, you're going to be at the very bottom. And there are going to be old ladies who are lifting 800 pounds spiritually and putting you utterly to shame. And that's good. That's how it's supposed to look. All right, you are not a hypocrite because you're saying, I'm perfect in Jesus, but I'm at 0%. Like, no, that's, that's fine. That's where you need to be. You're not called to, to improve your life overnight. No, instead, you're just supposed to take the next step. Go to the gym. Go to the gym once, you're just gathering up gym time, you're gathering up faith, you're gathering up time, of, time in the word, simple acts of obedience. You're starting off the journey. All right, please don't get discouraged and say this, think that you need to be where other people are. You really don't. All right, another thing that's true of that is that people start off in different places. All right, you can start going to the gym in a fairly healthy spot or like straight up can't run for more than 10 seconds. And both are going to improve. Both are called to, to progress. All right, there are some, some people who have just had like rainbow Christian lives. Even before they came to faith, they just had this like orb of blessing around them. And they were surrounded by people who were like generally nice and generally happy and didn't really sin that much. And so when they start their, their journey, like, there's just not a lot of super intense sin. Their lives don't look that messy. All right, other people, they start off in the trenches. And their lives look horribly messy. All right, both of those people are just called to progress. And this person who might look like a mess, even after 10 years of sanctification, all right, they're being faithful. And they're moving forward. And this person who's up here but stagnant is actually a lot less pleasing to the Lord than this person who is progressing step by step out of the depths. All right, don't compare each other. 
don't battle it out to see who's, who's more progressively sanctified. You're not better Christians. You're just, we're just doing the journey together. All right, mature people, mature people. Careful if you know, if you think that's you, all right? Uh, there, are, there are some of you, I think. Uh, please don't go stagnant. Don't get stuck. All right, we're all trying to move forward, and after 25 years or 30 years or 40 years of following Jesus, like, you have the faith to do amazing things. Please don't be content and just like, oh, I'm doing, like, I'm doing fine, I'm doing, doing the normal things. Like, keep pushing forward. Keep pursuing greater joy in Jesus. Keep, keep pursuing hatred of sin, acts of faith. And as you encounter less mature people, don't discourage them. Don't call them to, to come up where you are. Like, remind them of their perfection in Jesus and encourage them to make, take the next step. To take one small step. To take a step out of, out of sexual sin, out of anger, out of gossip. Like, just, just one, one step. That's what we're called to all do faithfully, day by day. All right. So how does this relate to our, to our question then? You can be perfect in Jesus. You can be a new creation. And you can be at the very bottom. And you can still say, you know what? Yes, I'm perfect in Jesus. But my life is still full of sin. I still do it a lot. It's still ruining my life. And I'm still paying the consequence for it. But God is slowly getting that sin out of my life. It's okay to be in that spot. You're not a hypocrite. You're not a failing Christian. You're just someone being saved. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, there's one more category we need to talk about, and that's adoption. Thankfully, this one is the one that we actually know the definition of inherently, uh, so I'm not going to talk about it too much. God throws us a bone on that one. Uh, you are sons and daughters. If you put your faith in Jesus, you are sons and daughters, and God is your father. And thankfully, when God is our father and we are adopted into his family, he helps us with this process. All right, you are not alone. We said it was participatory. You have, you have an abundance of help. And the first thing that, that God helps us with is we get to be dependent upon our father. We get to cry out to him. We get to call out to him. We get to seek his help in this process. Let's look at uh, Romans 8, 15 through, 20, uh, 15 through 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. All right, we're no longer enslaved to sin. We shouldn't enslave ourselves to it. Instead, we've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. All right, we have this great privilege as the sons and daughters to cry out to God, to seek help in this process. And as we become more and more mature... We learn to cry out, Abba, Father, more and more and more. And we recognize that we cannot do this process without his help. That the sin in your heart goes deeper than you ever thought or imagined. And if you do this in your own strength, you are going to just totally muck it up. So we keep crying out. We keep calling out, Abba, Father, because the Spirit himself bears witness that we are the children of God. All right, please don't try to do this alone. 
you will not have the strength for it. You will grow weary. You will grow discouraged. Keep crying out. That's a, that's a blessing of being, being children. But finally, finally, our Father helps us out through a little less exciting discipline through discipline. All right, discipline. Discipline is giving you, giving you suffering for your sin and disobedience. Giving you suffering for your sin and disobedience. And that's where the, this, this question asks, like, wait, why, why am I still suffering for, for sins that should have been paid for? Like, that's the Lord's discipline. He's not content just to let you sit in your sin, enslaved to it. No, he's actually going to help you get the sin out of your life, go through the process of sanctification by making you miserable in your sin and helping you to hate it. Let's look at Hebrews, Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. And he chastises every son whom he receives. Now what is he saying there? He's saying that if if God makes you miserable in your sin, that's not proof that your sins aren't forgiven. That's not proof that you're under the judgment or wrath of God. No, what is it proof of? It's proof that you are a son and you are a daughter. And God loves you enough to get the sin out of your life. Please don't interpret it as, I'm just not a good Christian. I must not have my sins paid for No, he's treating you as a son and a daughter. And he goes on. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If he didn't do this, you, you wouldn't really be a child. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Alright, that is true. But later, later, it yields the, the peaceful fruit of righteousness to all those who have been trained by it. God is treating you like you actually are in Jesus by disciplining you. Don't think you're under judgment. Don't think you're under wrath. Don't think that your sins haven't been paid for in Jesus. No, he's treating you like a son. All right, what might this look like? All right, if you are discontent and miserable, it might be that you're seeking joy in the wrong places. And that God is giving you that misery and discontent so that you might see that there's, there's joy in Jesus that you are not seeing. If God is making you bored and purposeless and you feel like you're just wandering through life, he might be disciplining you and showing you that you're actually not on a mission. That you're not connected to the purpose of Jesus. You're not walking with him. Or if, if you're just exhausted and worn out, It might be that you're not resting in Jesus. Or you're not being dependent upon him as a child. Now, are those things to condemn us? No. 
That would give us freedom from our sin so we might find it in Jesus. True freedom. Um, if your lives are miserable, there might be time to, to battle sin. In your private life, in your family life, in your career. Alright. Uh, as a parenting aside. Alright, parents. Discipline your children. Discipline your children. Please. Uh, they need it. And what is this one? This one is giving them like a temporary suffering to prevent ultimate sufferings. And so you give them like temporary suffering for a little bit of disobedience now so that they might be presented from like disobedience that leads to, to really bad consequences. While it's still small hat and small things, like give them, give them consequences now. This passage itself says that that is love. That is not hatred. That is loving your children. Love your children well. And I know we're all scared that if we do that, then our kids will hate us. What does it say? Scripture says our kids will not hate us. Our kids will respect us. Alright, so you can have rampant foolish sinners who disrespect you. Or like warned children who, who respect and understand the, the beauty of obedience. Alright, there's, there's grace in giving them the law. There's grace in, dis- in giving discipline. And though we do it poorly, because we are sinners, God does it perfectly. He does it perfectly. He does exactly what we need to hear at the right time because we're children. Amen? Amen. Alright. Uh, last, last thing. Last, last thing. This is a really hard process. And God knows that we will grow weary. God knows that we will get discouraged. We'll fall behind. We'll, we'll run after the wrong things. We'll be burdened by sin. And so... Uh, Hebrews starts off in chapter 12 with this, this passage. I'll read it to you. Verses 1 through 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these people who've had faith before us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Alright, I'm calling you to throw off the weight of sin. I'm calling you to run and not grow weary. I'm calling you to to not grow faint-hearted. And that is a huge burden to put on you unless you see this. You are running towards Jesus. You are running towards Jesus. And Jesus has already forged the path ahead of you. He is the only one who has laid aside every weight. He is the only one who didn't grow weary. And when he was running forward, he wasn't even casting off sin like in misery or in, in anger. No, he was, he was seeing the joy of the cross that was set before him. 
And he became the author and perfecter of our faith. That by Jesus, we are justified and sanctified and adopted. And do not, do not try to be sanctified without looking to Jesus and loving Jesus and running after him. He is the strength behind your sanctification. We cast off these things so we might have more Jesus and more joy in knowing him, more joy in glorifying him and obeying him. All right, run after Jesus. Keep your eyes on nothing but Jesus. Lose everything else, you might have more of him. Do not do it to be a good Christian. Do not do it to, to prove that you are good enough. Don't do it to justify yourself. Do it to be with Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. Questions? Questions? All clear. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How do you deal with a person who says, God will forgive me, so I can do whatever I want? Okay. Um, and so there's really no fruit in their life. Yet. Like, how, how do you deal with that? Okay. Yeah, so what, what do we do with the person who, uh, who says, God will forgive me for my sin. I'm, it doesn't really matter. Justification will take care of it. Uh, what we don't do, we don't condemn them. Instead, we, we call them. We call them to, to love Jesus and to, to see sin for what it is. We remind them of, of sin as Romans does. Like, why would you commit the thing that was killing you before? You know that sin is death. And why are you running after your own sorrow and misery and destruction? Like, pursue joy. Glorify Jesus, the one who died for you and loved you perfectly. Keep running towards Jesus and, and relieve him when he says that there is greater joy in obedience than in, than in sin. Now, at some point, if they don't hear that and they're unwilling to hear that, we might call them and say, like, do you really believe in Jesus? Do you really have, have you put your faith in him? Uh, because if there is no love for Jesus and no hatred of sin, that's a really dangerous place to be. That's not showing evidence that they're united to Christ. Uh, I would, I would go that, that route. Okay. Um, do you have some scripture that um, says that we should pursue sanctification? Yeah. Uh, I think that would, be, that would be this one, actually. The, um, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Uh, that we have an active role. That, uh, that we, we are called to, to throw it off. Even every command is an active role calls us to an active role in sanctification. Um, there is a view called, called quietism, which says like, that we're quiet and we wait for the Holy Spirit to act. Um, I think that's largely been seen as just an inadequate interpretation. Now, am I saying that the Holy Spirit isn't at work? No, the Holy Spirit is at work. He will work in us. But we are called to to pursue these things, to, to obey for the joy of it. Um, we don't want to say that we are alone in this work, but we are our participants. Yeah? In one sense, can we say that um, 
when you said that sanctification is to be made holy, mm. and the definition of holy often is to be set apart. Right. We are a set apart people. He right. is holy because he is like no other. He is set apart. Right. So in one sense, are we not all, well, we're already sanctified because we are set apart. Okay. Okay, yeah, that's where, um, we have, we, I've divided this into, into very clear categories, but oftentimes in scripture, those categories uh, don't necessarily line up with the right words. So sometimes we can, they can say, uh, scripture can say, you've been 100% sanctified. And we say, well, no, I haven't. Like, that's where it's using sanctified in the sense of justification. These words don't necessarily correspond to the ideas as much. Uh, that was really confusing. Um, let me say it another way. Um, Candy, in terms of our faith in Christ, we are 100% perfect before him. But then we want to make sure we can also say that that hasn't actually played out in our actions. We want to make sure those two things don't get blended together. And we say, oh, no, in some sense, you're not justified. You're not really there yet. In some sense, you are. It's just two different categories. We want to make sure those categories are distinct. Does that create any follow-up questions or anything, Candy? No. Other questions? You could say you're made perfectly by the blood of Jesus. You're not made perfect in your actions yet. Uh, All right, totally clear. Good. You sure? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've began a good work in us that you will carry forward because you've guaranteed that it will it'll come to pass through Christ. And Father, we ask that as we pursue sanctification, as we, uh, as we live under discipline, we would receive it as a great gift. Father, would you change our hearts towards our sin? Would you give us joy in being free from sin? Would you not make us resent it? And Father, would we never live to, to try to earn our salvation or, or please you in a way that is independent of Jesus? Father, we thank you that we, we run after Jesus and that nothing but Jesus will sustain us. And so, Father, would you keep our eyes on him? Would you give us a great love for him? that as we hate our sin, we would cast it aside and run after you uh, for the joy set before us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, we are two weeks out from Easter. And I know that every year, Easter kind of... Well, let me back up. We go into Christmas with such anticipation, such build-up, such such looking forward to it, such excitement. And then it seems like Easter comes at us out of nowhere. It's like suddenly somebody looks up and is like, oh my gosh, it's Easter time. Uh, two weeks. And although I love and adore and just find the Christmas season so wonderful, our faith is given hope in the realization of Easter. When Jesus died on Good Friday and rose again, Sunday, that is the moment in which the justification was completed. The moment that that stamp was put, done, 
the moment in which everything that we do, everything we will ever do, everything that we have ever done is then viewed at from the perspective of sanctified people. So I get kind of excited this time of year as we start to look at those Easter songs, those songs that focus on the Lamb who was slain, the cross, our Savior, that event. So we don't normally sing new songs at the end of a service, but this morning we're going to sing a new song, kind of because I want to prepare us to sing this song on Easter Sunday. So 